0: The evidence of the eyewitness testimony within the Gospels is overwhelming. There is no doubt that the modern church in America has failed its people by not teaching them the earliest stages of church history. Thank you for tuning into Facts, a podcast that primarily focuses on the church fathers The Apocryphal Works, the Canon of Scripture, the Text of Scripture, and the Scripture itself. You can find more information about us on ExploreChristianity.net. Thank you again for tuning in. Yes, again, once more, thank you always for tuning in to these different episodes we do on Facts. Particularly today, we're going to be staying within the Twelve Apostles. We've looked at a lot of positives When it comes to the apostles, but we cannot do a series on the apostles and their work, the chosen, the 12, without looking at Judas Iscariot. And so today I want to talk about Judas Iscariot, the traitor. Uh, There is no greater story probably in history of betrayal. Uh, I mean, you have others in different parts of the world and different regions, even our own country in the U.S., uh, Benedict Arnold. We do have traitors. But betraying the Son of God is a whole new level. And so what I want to do today is focus on him, uh, kind of a little bit about him. There's some controversy about his death. There's controversy about the purchasing of a field. Uh, There's even some controversy within uh, his placement and his birth and his home and his background. We know that he is the son of Simon, We know that he is distinguished from another Judas that was in the group. It seems like the synoptics give that Judas a different name, whereas John the Apostle chooses not to go with a different name. Judas is given the name Judas Iscariot, or there's typically the extended line of description, the one who betrayed the Lord or the one who betrayed Christ. And then you have Judas, not Iscariot. And John the Apostle makes sure to distinguish the not factor. It's not that Iscariot over there. So we know a little bit about his his background from the perspective of he was apparently good with money. Uh, He was given the change or the money bag to take care of issues that were to come up. Uh, He seemed to be trustworthy. I mean, from our perspective, we start out and say, why would anybody... Uh, trust Judas? Why would anybody uh, give him money? Uh, The scripture says he was a thief, which we'll talk about. And if he was a thief, then why would they give him the money? Well, I mean, understand this. The rest of the group, the other disciples, uh, absolutely knew none of that. We have uh, 2020 uh, looking at it from history and what's happened and all the information has come in and we now know At that point, he must have been one well-thought, well-organized individual who had a lot of good ideas with money. We're going to see in a minute that he was probably uh, great with purchasing and planning. So therefore, he was seen as a trusted individual. It's not like the rest of the group was wondering, wow, man, this guy's a little sketch. I don't know about him, but we'll, we'll let him hold the money anyway. They didn't trust probably one guy with the money, and that would have been Matthew. Uh, If there was a guy that wasn't going to be trusted with the money, it would have been Matthew the tax collector, not Judas Iscariot. Now, it's very likely he's from an area of Curioth, which isn't far from the Dead Sea, and that's what Iscariot means. It's a region or town in the Judean area. But there's other people. Other people think that there's different places, uh, that it refers to the Sicarii, uh, uh, which is a group of assassins of Jewish rebels. I, I don't know if if I would land with the assassin of rebels group. I, I don't think that's the case, because it seems like when we look at Judas and his father, Simon, Iscariot is descriptive of a location of of where he is, which would be Kiriath. And I think that that's probably what's being held there in his name. I I really don't think it has to do with him being an assassin. And we know that there was Simon the Zealot. We did a whole episode in him. Seems to be a part of a group of zealots that would have been assassinating Jewish leaders, or excuse me, Roman leaders on behalf of the Jewish libertarian freedoms. I don't think that's the case here with Judas Iscariot. That would have been more with Simon the Zealot. So when we look at him about you know, his relationship with others, there's no negative comments. He doesn't seem to be this horrible moral person. Uh, people seem to have trusted him. People seem to have been a part of uh, community with him. But it, it was almost a secret sin that was taking over his heart. It was, it was pride. It was, it was a level of covetousness. It was a level of hatred. There's, there's deception in the heart. But it wasn't manifested explicitly to the others in the group. His motives can be traced to multiple things. But when we look at him, he did good things. I mean, he's with Jesus. He's with the others that was sent out two by two. He's casting out devils in the name of Jesus, which is ironic. He will later be possessed with the devil himself. A man who had the power in Jesus' name to cast out devils will be taken over by the devil. But he was there. He was a part of the group of the disciples where it says that Jesus' disciples were baptizing. He baptized. He cast out demons. He watched the healings. He watched the dead raised. He watched the blind see the deaf being able to hear. He saw the sick take up their bed and walk. But yet we look at Judas and it's as if all of that went over his head or bounced off of him completely. So money's important to him. Um, we see where he is Mad about the expenditures of anointings and associations with Jesus. Like, well, this money could have been given to the poor. And then scripture is explicit. It's not because he cared about the poor. It's because he was a thief. He didn't care about the poor at all. That we find this story given. When Judas starts changing trajectory, he must have set his eyes on a plot of land. And when it came to using the money wrongly, why did he have such an outburst? What caused him to be so angry about expensive ointments? It had nothing to do with the poor. It had nothing to do with his desire to see people who need help. Uh, it, It has nothing to do with the fact that he believed that he was doing something of service to charity It is that he was a thief. He apparently had coveted a plot of land, and we're going to get into this, where he desired to take that money and use it for a purchase. And and the thing is, when that possibility is taken from you, you know, my dad used to always say to me growing up, if you want to do something, if you want something bad enough, you will find a way to do it. Oh it may it may be a really bad way it may be a criminal way but if your covetousness is out of control you can find a way to get what you want it may cost you a lot but you'll find a way and it seems like that Judas had his eyes set on a plot of land and he went to extreme measures you purchase that and we'll, we'll get into why I believe that's the case a little bit more in a minute but Judas here we see that he was somebody chosen by Jesus specifically and Jesus even goes on to say did I not choose you 12 and one of you is a devil now that's not that's not at the night Jesus was betrayed that he said that this is back in John chapter 6 have I not chosen the 12 of you and one of you is a devil? He didn't distinguish. So Jesus knew who he was. You see, this was, this was going to take place. The role of Judas in the apostolic group was that it was going to take place in betrayal, which was actually going to bring about redemption. Now, we've seen in the Gnostic gospel Judas, and I did an episode on that one, where he's a victim actually he's actually trying to help Jesus the betrayal is Jesus's idea and the idea was get me out of my body I need to escape and if you do this you're going to be guaranteed out your, your friends over here aren't going to understand what you're doing but trust me I'll I'll bless you in the kingdom and you will be a ruler in this kingdom for doing this favor for me so again when you look at him was he a victim or a villain and I did a whole episode called that Judas Iscariot was he a victim or a villain well, the Gospels, the canonical Gospels, pave pay him out to be a villain, intentional, evil, put to full use. Whereas the Gospel of Judas, heretical Gnostic Gospel, has him as a victim who's just doing what Jesus asked him to do. But again, there's no way to corroborate the Gospel of Judas Uh, When we look at these gospel accounts, they're consistent in relation to who he was. He was a villain. He was trying to look out for himself and accomplish something for himself, having ignored all the spiritual benefits that were given to him. But Jesus knew in the plan of redemptive, in the redemptive plan to bring about his grace and mercy into the world, he allowed an evil man to be one of his 12, knowing he was full well a devil. Jesus even predicted his betrayer. He identified him as the one who would dip the piece of bread. The one that would do that and that he would give to would be Judas. Now, it's interesting none of the other gospel writers actually focus in on this. And I'm going to actually show once again where I believe the gospels are written on eyewitness. Uh, perspectives. In John 13, 26, we find Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread. And when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Again, so Iscariot is actually being, uh, seems to be associated possibly even with Simon. So once more, I think that's location, not so much an association. Now, why didn't everybody else see this? When we go to the other gospels, they're sitting there arguing amongst themselves about who's going to be seated where. The seating arrangements was more of their issue. That day, you had Judas sitting in the seat that was the privilege seat, the one that typically they would wait for Elijah at a uh, Passover ceremony, waiting for him to come in. Not this day. And Judas gets a seat, a seat in that honor next to Jesus. But John, being probably the youngest, because oftentimes in the Passover seating arrangements, the youngest would sit next to the host or the person who is in charge of the congregation of people, typically a family like a father. In this case, it was Jesus. John is seated over here next to Jesus. And it's interesting that while the other disciples were arguing, none of them picked up on the fact of who Jesus handed the morsel of bread to, except one guy. Remember, it, it is John that's leaned up on Jesus' breast. And it is John who would have heard Jesus say those words. While everybody else is arguing and Peter's like, hey, John, ask ask Jesus who it is. And that's what John does. He is leaning up against Jesus. Meanwhile, there's other conversations happening saying, I, I, who is it? You know. And then that's when Jesus said, it's the one who I give the morsel of bread to and when I've dipped it. And then he did. He handed it to Judas. It was John is the only one that reported that part. And that's because he would have been the one seeing it. Now, if you look at a table, the way they were set up, uh, Peter would have been across the way on the other end, not on the same side, on the other end. He would not have probably been able to hear as much of quiet conversation and whispering from John to Jesus leaned up on him like that. So, so there is reason to believe, again, within eyewitness testimony, that John would be the only one that could report that because John was the only one who could hear and see that activity taking place right in front of him, whereas Peter being on the other end, Matthew, perhaps at a different part of the table as well. But it is here that Judas is given this morsel of bread. And... <laughs> When we learn of Judas he had already made arrangements he was just waiting for his time it is the famous words of Jesus that says to him what you do do it quickly if you're going to do this thing let's get it on let's get it over with don't delay and then he left he took off and Jesus and that's important because in that passage there there's a lot of discussion about clean you are clean but Judas was not. And it's interesting that John tells us that after he took the morsel, Satan had entered into him. Again, think about think about the dynamic. A man who once cast out devils becomes possessed by the devil himself. Now, the other disciples were confused as to why Judas left. They didn't know what was going on. They thought that he was just going to go out and purchase some stuff. They weren't worried about him. They They didn't have any concerns. And in fact, it tells us that they were uncertain of who Jesus was talking about. No one thought, oh, it's Judas, when he said, yeah one of you is going to betray me. It's It's got to be Judas. I mean, they were all like, well, is it me? Is it me? They weren't worried about Judas. They're worried about themselves. Clearly, he was trusted amongst his peers. And again, they thought he went out to buy more food or help charity or something of the sort. They didn't think he was going out to go sell out Jesus to the religious leaders. To make it worse... We find out in Luke's gospel, as Judas then goes out, finds religious leaders, they come together, they go into the garden. He told them how to find the one. It's dark, folks. They didn't have fully lit gardens back then. He would find the one that they need to arrest, and the signal was a kiss. Judas comes up. The discussion goes on. He draws near to Jesus. It says in Luke 22, Jesus was kissed by Judas and said, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? A kiss is an endearing thing. Uh, and it wasn't uncommon. It wasn't always a romantic thing as it is in our culture. It was, it was, it was a sign of Friendship. It was it was a symbol of relationship. Uh, that's why in the churches they were said to greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, not that we would do that in our culture; it's very different. Kiss on the cheek. Uh, being uh, an Italian or growing up in an Italian family on my mother's side, I mean, we even seen how common that is in Italy. I mean, the, the, for them to kiss on both sides of the cheek, it's 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 a, it's a welcoming, endearing. Uh, sign of friendship, family, relationship, and here it is betrayal. They take Jesus. They bring him before trial. We know the story. He is sentenced eventually to death by crucifixion, beat, scourged, crown of thorns, mocked, carried cross. While this is going on, Judas can't get rid of his guilt. He can't can't deal with it anymore. So he goes out and tries to reconcile his guilt. He takes the money because he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And in betrayal, he tries to get the money back, but it was too late. It was too late. In Matthew chapter 27, we find a little bit about this. Matthew gives us insight that I think is very, very important to understanding the transaction that was taking place. And one, again, proving that Matthew being a tax collector would have had knowledge of this and friends who could have given information about this. It seems interesting that he's the one that brings it up in this purchase of land. And I want to get into the purchase of land, but let's not jump the gun yet. Let's talk about his guilt. Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. Now, understand this. There's a lot of debate about whether or not Judas actually repented and, um, you know, the old, is Judas in heaven. Well, that's a dumb way to look at anything about, you know, these kind of situations, in my opinion. But I don't think that's the question that should be asked here because it's very clear. I mean, at this point, the devil had entered into him. He is in a state of no return from that perspective. Second, remorse and repentance are not the same thing. Let me illustrate this. We find where the other Jews who had traveled to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 for the coming of Pentecost Peter gets in front of the crowd and accuses the Jewish people of crucifying their prince you by wicked hands you did it by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God you slayed you did it what do the people do They had remorse, but their remorse led to, what do we do about this, Peter? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of sins, The the answer was repentance leads to restoration. This can be dealt with. Christ died by your hands, but his death was for your sins. Therefore, repent of it and be forgiven and join him in baptism. Repentive people are restored people. A remorseful person, if he truly found repentance, would not go out and hang himself. He would have been restored. Peter denied the Lord. Jesus restored him. Yeah, I don't like this idea of debate. Well, is Judas in hell, Judas in heaven stuff? The question is, did Judas truly repent? Do truly repentive people go out and hang themselves because the guilt is still there? The answer is no. Repentive people are restored people and God would have forgiven a Judas Iscariot at true repentance. The the issue is, is that he was already gone at that point. See, I don't think it's a, a climax of what happened to him once he went and threw the money back at the religious leaders. That's not the issue. He had already been possessed, not by demons, by the devil himself. He's done. He sealed his fate. He had reached a place of no return. Jesus, his whole ministry, believe the light while you have the light. And he hid himself so that they could not believe. Warning after warning after warning to believe and believe and believe lest these things happen to you, lest you find no salvation. There are points where people go where there is no return. Now, you and I don't know those points, but looking at it with hindsight, it is abundantly clear that Judas crossed the line beyond the line. But repentive people are restored people. Repentive people that are restored do not go out and hang themselves. So, no. I do not think that Judas was restored to true faith at all. Now, again, this isn't an issue of suicide. Like, are you saying everybody that commits suicide isn't going to enter in the kingdom of God? I'm not talking about suicide per se. I am talking about Judas's suicide. Those that have these kind of predicaments, the only people you can really relate with in any type of scripture is going back to Samuel and Saul. God shut himself off. Shut himself off from King Saul. By witchcraft, God allowed one last statement to be to Saul. And it wasn't that you got a chance, buddy. It's you're done. You're going to die. It's the end. Saul, knowing the end was there right in front of him, his sons had died in battle. He pulled out a sword and fell on himself. Judas took it to a further level than Saul. He betrayed the Son of God after experiencing the power of the ages, seeing the kingdom of God in his midst, touching the very flesh of God coming into a man. He touched that man. Yet at the same time, he didn't just touch him. He also was betraying him and did it over a large period of time, not just one minute, one weakness and fell for it. He had sought for an occasion to go after Jesus and lose his relationship with him for money. It even says that in Mark chapter 14, verse 11. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him the money. And he sought for an opportunity to betray him. So he was promised this money, 30 pieces of silver, several days before delivering Jesus over to the religious rulers. But when we go back into Matthew, we find that he tries to take the money and give it back. He said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Well, yeah, he recognized that. That's good. Didn't solve anything. So yes, he did recognize his sin. The question is, what did he come to realize? (laughs) Keywords here. Um, and it's not the words of the writer. It's the actions that are reported by the writer. A couple things. First, the betrayal of innocent blood, the key word, innocent blood. But it's a second thing. It's what Judas did. Judas knew what to do here. And the religious leaders knew what Judas was doing here. And as a result, they tried to get this money off of their hands too. They, they said to him, what is it to us? You see to it. Hey, don't make this our problem, buddy. Contract's up. (laughs) Then he drew down the pieces. He threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went out and hanged himself. All right, let's think about what Judas did. There's a prophecy. And this is all going to tie together. I think that Judas was intentionally eyeing a field and purchasing it by some sort of contract. And it was time to go buy it. And he could not give the money to the man. Let's think in Zechariah chapter number 11, verses 12 to 13, we read this. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said, Throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I priced it by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it in to the house of the Lord, to the potter. Think about this for a minute. There's a prophecy, and Judas would have absolutely known this prophecy, that the Lord had designated a 30 pieces of silver, And taking that and throwing it into the house of the Lord. That's what Zechariah was instructed to do. So back up. The field that Judas wanted was owned by a potter. So I'm going to pause and now talk about the controversy of who bought the field. Because in Matthew's text, he throws the money back at them. And I believe Judas realized he had fulfilled prophecy in a bad way. And he tried to play the role of Zechariah by throwing it into the temple. Notice what the text says. They said, what is it to us? Hey, it's not our problem. And Judas is like, I'm about to make it your problem. So he, knowing the prophecy, they, knowing the prophecy, throws the 30 pieces of silver as Zachariah was instructed to in the temple, just just like Zachariah was instructed to throw it into the house of the Lord, making it their problem. They're pretty much saying, hey, it's not our problem. And and what Judas does is basically says, you want to bet? About to make it your problem. Throws it into the temple. And instantly, the religious leaders would have known that is a Zachariah moment. He realized that he had just fulfilled prophecy. Not in a good way. So what does he try to do? Get the money off his hands. What do you do to do that? He realized he just feels... Pro- fulfilled prophecy in a bad way. He goes to the very place that Zechariah was told to do and go to and throw the money on the floor of the temple. And that's what he does. That's exactly what he does. Now it is their problem. So they they realize, um, huh, we can't, we can't have, this is blood money. We cannot put this in the treasury. So what they do is they go down, and they consult together, and they bring it to the Potter's field, and bear to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field was called the field of blood to this day. And it says it was fulfilling the prophecy of the one we just read, Zechariah. But it's also fulfilling Z- Jeremiah 30, uh, thirty-two six through nine. It's kind of a uh, conflation of two prophecies put into one. Similar to how we see Mark chapter one verse two with Malachi and Isaiah. So he's quoting the fulfillment of Jeremiah, giving precedence to the major prophet, just like Mark did with Isaiah in Mark chapter one over Malachi. He's doing this with Jeremiah over Zechariah. But don't miss what's happening. They gave them the potter's field as the Lord directed. And so the, the field is purchased. The question is, when we get into a different section we find out that it is Judas who bought this field. In Acts chapter 1, verse 18 through 19, we read this. Now, this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of, of his, and his bowels gushed out, and it became known to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that the field was called in their own language Akadelma, that is field of blood. Now, there the, the field of blood name is consistent with Matthew. And what Luke reports in Acts, but who bought the field? That's the question. Who bought the field? The religious leaders or Judas or both? Okay. We know Judas had time. Again, Mark 14:11. Uh they promised this 30 pieces of silver days in advance to Judas. He's angry about money being mishandled about Jesus. And it's not because he cared about the poor, it's because he's a crook. He clearly had his heart or his eyes set on a field that he wanted to purchase and he was going to steal the money to do it, but he couldn't get it. He didn't have it. But if he would just work with the group of religious leaders who already he knows hates Jesus and they work together, they can actually come up with a plan. It says in Mark 14, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad, of course, promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Now he consults with the chief priests Now, we don't have explicit statements here, but it seems like they probably were trying to make an agreement of purchase. It does not say in Mark 14 that they promised to give him 30 pieces of silver. They promised him to give him the money. What money? For what? They must have had a conversation about arrangement. And they must have known the exact field he was wanting to buy. And because they knew which field he wanted to buy, they provided the amount of money that was necessary for the purchase. And he had come to an agreement, apparently, with this potter, whoever he was, The potter owned a field. He wanted that field. He wanted the plot of land. He now has the guaranteed money. He just has to deliver over the goods. He delivers over the goods, i.e. Jesus, and he gets the money and he goes out and it's time to finalize the purchase. Maybe he goes up to the potter and says, all right, I have finally got the money. Let's seal this contract. Let's finalize it. And then guilt hits him hard. what he wanted so bad that he was willing to give up everything and anything for it finally comes, he gives it up. But you got to go to bed with your conscience. You got to live with it. Conscience doesn't do so good. So he goes back and says, I got to get rid of this. And they're like, uh, no. Deal's done. It's your problem. He gets mad and says, you, th- you think so? I know what's going on here. At some point, Judas put two and two together that 30 pieces of silver was betrayer's money in the purchase of a potter's field. See, what caused the guilt in Judas? That he felt really, really bad? It's that he realized he just fulfilled prophecy in a negative way. And he wants to get this off of his conscience and his hands as fast as he can. Tries to reason with the religious leaders. They're like, this is your problem. And he says, no, I know the prophecy. Psh, throws down the 30 pieces of silver in the temple and says, now it's your problem. The issue is he must have went out and still could not live with his conscience. Went to the very pe- the very field he was about to purchase. And as a result, hung himself. He thought he got it off his hands, but he could not get out of his own head. So he went out and killed himself because he was insane at that point, emotionally, mentally. But he figured in his own suicide, he took the blood money and gave it and made it somebody else's problem. Not so fast because the religious leaders are now stuck with the Zechariah prophecy and they know what that means they know what it means to have 30 pieces of silver thrown on the temple floor. They're like, uh, well, we can't just go put this in that. It's blood money. We can't do this. Who is the guy that Judas was talking to? Which field was it? Oh, it was Potter so-and-so. He had an arrangement with him. Okay, well, then let's put the money and finalize the purchase. So by definition, there must have been some sort of an agreement between the Potter and Judas Judas just changed his mind last second about giving the guy the money. And so he tries to get it off his conscience. But then the religious leaders apparently had already consoled with him in Mark 14, knowing his desire to buy that field, knew the cost, the amount, and provided the amount, knew the potter, the location, and said, let's go to the guy that Judas wanted to buy the field from and say, here, take the money. The field can be used for this. And the biblical writers are telling us that the field is known as the field of blood even to the day that they were still writing, it was still known for that. So Judas may have purchased the field personally, but never finalized it by providing the money for the transaction, and the religious leaders went ahead and made sure that happened. So I think that's what's happening. I think that he coveted a plot of land, realized what he had done to the level he went to get it, Realized he fulfilled prophecy, tried to get it off his hands by doing what Zechariah did in the temple. Goes out, can't live with himself, kills himself. Religious leaders realize what he just did. They don't want that on their hands. They go out and finish the transaction for Judas. Therefore, they did buy the pot of land, but they bought it with Judas's agreement. And therefore, by definition, it would be a land that apparently Judas had purchased and acquired with the reward of his wickedness. Then there's the discrepancy about he died. So Matthew says that he hung himself. Others in agreement. Luke in Acts 1 goes on to talk about he fell headlong, burst open, and his guts came all out. Well, which one is it? Okay, so this, I think, has been made a big deal. I don't think it should be. So we talk about how he died. If Judas went out and hung himself, now this is springtime, it's, it's warm. It's around Passover. If Judas went out and hung himself, and there's actually been examples of in the medical where he would have probably hung himself from the neck on a tree, if you sit there for a long period of time, especially a dead body out in the hot heat um, and circulation the way it is, and, and, and this is why when when people are being prepared for a burial and a viewing, they drain the blood out of the body. If he sat there for any period of time um, and within that, your body swells like a balloon especially if it's out in the heat and the blood is still within the body. It could be. And I think this is probably what happened. And Luke being a physician, naturally focusing on how this happened. Again, I I demonstrated my uh, defense of Luke writing the book of acts a physician involved. This demonstrates somebody who has a very keen interest in the, the human anatomy of a dead person who went out and hung himself and what happened to his body Matthew and others are just focused on he went out and hung himself. He went out and hung himself. That's, that's all they killed himself. Luke wants to go further with that. And, and note, Luke never said Luke never said that his cause of death was falling headfirst. It just says that he fell headlong and burst open and his bowels gushed out. There's other traditions as well that talk about him being run over and things like that. I don't want to get into the extra biblical traditions because there's enough here between Matthew and Acts to help us. If Acts is written by a physician, which I did a whole thing on it, he's naturally going to be interested in the uh, physicality of this. Guts uh, gushing out and bursting open. And there's medical reasoning behind this explosion of the body and busting. If he had been swollen like a balloon, blood still in the body, bursting out on the fall. He may have hung himself over a cliff, fell down the cliff. Once he hit the bottom of the cliff and a rocky cliff, explosion. So there are multiple explanations to actually harmonize the accounts. I don't have an issue with either working together. I don't think they're opposites. I, they're certainly not contradicting each other. Axe is focusing on his body after death. The others are talking about the cause of death. Luke never says that the cause of death was falling and bursting open. That's not what he said. He's focusing on what happened to the body after death. So I see the harmonization there is is easily understood and can be explained. I know there's a lot of room for debate and I'm open to that room, but I think that it can be harmonized and understood by explanation. But this is Judas. I mean, this this is the world's well-known, greatest traitor of all time. And we look at him and we go, he's such a bad guy. But the scripture wants us to look at him, not start with that, but that he was potential. He was trusted. He was loved. He was involved. He was chosen by Jesus. He saw so much. He performed baptisms. He cast out demons. It's a tragic story for him, but a redemptive story for the one he betrayed. And redemption triumphed over evil. So this is Judas. I do not believe he was truly repentive. I don't think he is going to be in the kingdom of God at all. I think that he was just trying to get blood money off of him because you realize he negatively fulfilled prophecy. Uh, he hung himself and apparently hung out long enough to where people finally found him. His body fell perhaps on a cliff and some rocks. Blood still in the body exploded. He was probably swollen like a balloon. Uh, you know, it was it was just a bloody mess. Uh, hence the field of blood. Uh, when you look at his story is one of tragedy. He did not die for the Lord. He died because he betrayed the Lord. And therefore we see him as one of the 12 is the most tragic of all of them, but yet bringing about even in his evil, the greatest redemption and fulfilling prophecy while doing it. And so for this, we learn about our friend Judas. We learn that he was, uh, one of the 12 and, Not somebody you should model your life after. But the lesson is covetousness can cause you to go to great lengths of evil and do the most horrific things. But just know, if you get what you think you really want, it might not be what you want once you get it. Grace and peace to you.